Turn to Proverbs chapter 22. We'll start there. We'll be in Proverbs a lot. Proverbs chapter 22. Tell me when you're ready. Proverbs 22 is where we'll start. I want to spend maybe one or two more weeks talking about these child issues. Again, we've been thinking about uh, child training, but thinking about it with an eye towards what it means about our relationship with the Lord. And uh, then I think I have some ideas about what I'm going to start a study, probably a long-term study about some things about the Bible, how it's laid out, how it's put together, and uh, that'll be maybe in the weeks ahead. But uh, we did a bunch of questions. I still have a few questions in the queue, but I think three weeks of question and answer, I wanted to get back to this, and then maybe I'll get back to those some other questions, and then wherever the Lord takes us. So Benjamin Franklin, you probably heard of that guy. Um, he made a very famous statement one time. He said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And... Uh, He kind of was saying that without a goal that you're working towards, you're basically headed for defeat. So I want to bring it to this question. What then is the ultimate goal in training up a child for the Lord Jesus Christ? Like, what are we striving for? What are we aiming towards? What are we planning to accomplish? Or are we just trying to keep them fed and out of trouble until they're 18 or on their own, right? If If you're not planning you're planning to fail. Now, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, the Bible says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the Lord gives us the command, right? He gives us the direction of our training. Train them up. Don't train them this way. Train them up. Get them thinking about heaven. Get them in the direction of God. Train them up. Not just raise them up physically, but raise them up spiritually, right? The Bible, for an important reason, compares us to trees, You ever notice that trees always grow up, right? They always grow in the direction of the heavens, right? And as a child of God, whether it's your child you're training or just you as a child of God that's growing up in the faith, you're supposed to be growing in the direction of God. We're supposed to be moving towards Him. Now go to chapter 29. That's the command, right? The command to train. Proverbs 29, verse 17. The Bible says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. He shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And we talked many weeks ago and months ago about children needing a vision. Because that idea about not having a vision is in the context of how you deal with your children. And so God gives us the command to train, and He gives us the clarity to train. He gives us a vision that's supposed to be the drive for our training. There's supposed to be something in front of our spiritual eyes that we're looking towards, that we're aiming towards, that we're striving towards. And, and, and what is that? That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. What is our goal? What should be our desire for all of our interactions with our little ones and any little ones you have in your life? And that question is, books have been written about that question. Uh, Seminars have been given about that question. Whole ministries have sprung up around this country and around the world trying to address the fundamental question of how do you biblically address and train up a child in the way he should go? The answer is not that elusive. The answer for your family and my family can be found by considering how God deals with his family, right? Look at Proverbs 23. Here's the answer. 
What is God the Father's ultimate goal in training his children up? What is he after? What is his desire? What is his target? Proverbs 23 verse 22 has what God does with us and what we can do with our families. The Bible says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, Proverbs 23, 22, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Here it is, folks. My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. You know what God wants? You know what His ultimate goal is with you tonight? He wants your heart. That's what He, he doesn't want your wallet. He doesn't want your time. He doesn't even want your talents. If He gets your heart, He gets the most priceless thing you've got. Because out of your heart, the Bible says, come the issues of life. If God's got your heart, He'll get your wallet. If God's got your heart, He'll get your time. If God's got your heart, He'll get your prayer. If God's got your heart, He'll get your babies. He'll get everything. If God got your heart, He's got your life. So God says, give me your heart. That's God's goal. That's what God's after. That's His ultimate desire in bringing you up. So hey, if we're going to make an eternal impact with our children, we've got to go after what God wants. God wants your heart. So you know what I want to do with my children? I want to go after their heart. I want them to give me their heart. That is the goal. That is the pinnacle. That is the ultimate desire for any child training. And we're going to look tonight about the parallels of you and God and then how that parallels to you and your children or grandchildren, etc. All right, so let's jump in here. Father, we love you today. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, for this precious book, Lord. It's the only way we know you, Father, is through these words, Lord, and how you impress them upon our hearts, Lord. So I pray most of all, Dear Lord, that you would feed your church. Thank you for letting the audio equipment work. I pray you continue to let it work, Father. I don't know what that was, but thank you for fixing it, Lord. Pray, Lord, that your word would go out with power to the folks here, the folks at home. But, Lord, just let us seriously give us understanding, Father. Lord, your ways are not our ways, and we need to be taught the ways of the Lord, Father. So teach us your ways, Lord. Make us better Christians better Christian parents, better Christian uncles, better Christian grandparents, better Christian children. Let us see, like your grand design, Father, how your heart really works and what you're really after. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. All right, so here's how it's going to work. I only have two points in our Bible study today. And I want to start by saying this. Training your children, number one, all right? Training up your children, all right? must begin with the law. And I'll explain that. Training up your children must begin with the law. That's how God begins. You understand that, right? What are the first five books of the Bible called? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're commonly called the law of Moses or the law of God. God begins by giving the people, us, the law. Right? So that tells me when we're going to deal with people, we've got to start with the law. We've got to deal with our children. We begin with law. In fact, the first seven books, so we've got the first five books of the Bible are, are called the law. That's how God starts things. And even the first chapters, the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs are all about the king's son being admonished to keep his father's law. 
That's how the book of wisdom starts. That's how the whole Bible starts. God wants you to get some principles down first. As a Christian, what God likes, what God hates. You know what your child has to learn first? What's right, what's wrong. That's how you start as a Christian. That's how you start as a child. Let's look at Proverbs 1. We're going to start where God starts. We're going to start with the law. Right? If we're really going to train up our children the way God says they should go, we've got to start by laying out some law for them. Because that's what God does with us in His book and with His people. He starts with the law. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Look at it. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, every chapter 1 to 7, he addresses his son. My son Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. All right? So we're starting with the law, because that's where God starts. And I want you just to plug this in. If you're sitting here today with no children, you could just take this and say, you know what? This is about me and God. But it's also about how you deal with your children. Right? What does he say in verse 7? That this fear that comes from knowing what God likes and doesn't like, it's the beginning of knowledge. Like that's what gets you on the road to understanding is knowing what God likes and what God hates and what God loves and what God wants you to do and what God doesn't want you to do. Look at verse number 8. He says in verse 8, Don't forsake the law of thy mother. That's a great phrase. You know what the law of thy mother is? You're holding it in your hands. That Bible is like your spiritual mama. That Bible is the water that birthed you, right? That's like your spiritual mother. I think it was Lester Roloff. How many people have heard of Lester Roloff? Lester Roloff preached a great message many, many years ago. Don't mess with my mama. And he was talking about people messing with the Bible. Because the Bible is like a mother giving you that advice, giving you that counsel, being that silent witness in your life to steer you on the way to God. This book is like your mother. And he says in verse 9, when you embrace the law of this book, look what you get. You get grace. You get these ornaments of grace. It makes you beautiful when you embrace what God says to do and not to do. It doesn't limit you. It liberates you. It doesn't frustrate you. It frees you. Amen? That's when the Bible says He makes you free. You know, you take a child, you give them no rules, that child is the most anxious, insecure, angry little brat you've ever met in your life. But when that child knows that these are the parameters in which you can live, exist, and be blessed, you know what that does? That gives them peace and rest, and they can enjoy knowing where the boundaries are. Right? The law actually gives you an ornament of grace. Now go to chapter 3. And we can learn from that as Christians and also as family members. Let's see some more things about the law. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. My son, God talking to you. And you talking to your kids. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Watch this. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Remembering God's law gives a child length of days. Maybe physically, definitely spiritually. Just kind of put some lunge. Doesn't mean you love the Bible, you're going to live to 102. Doesn't mean that. But you know what? Those days can be full. Those days can be long and full and blessed Amen. instead of cut off, shortened, and limited by sin. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Let me show you that God always connected you honoring your parents 
with length of days and long life. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is the Old Testament commandment. Exodus 20, verse 12. We know there are 10 commandments. Hopefully you can name all 10 of them. All right? Uh, If not, keep it to yourself. That's a fun thing to do on the street. When people say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, could you name the Ten Commandments? Once they get past lying and taxes, wait a minute, taxes aren't in there. But you know, they're good to go. Right? I didn't kill anybody. All right, what about the other nine? All right, Exodus 20, verse 12. Fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. Why? That thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. See, the Old Testament, that fifth commandment promised long days to those people. Blessed days, full days. Didn't mean they all were going to live to 126, but they'd have a full life, a full life, a blessed life in the inheritance God gave them. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, which is the New Testament uh, commandment of the same, he's quoting the same commandment, Ephesians 6. And God says it again about long days with honoring your parents and heeding what they say. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children. Every kid in here knows this, right? Or should know this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The parents quietly say, Yes, amen, get them, preacher. Honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The fifth commandment is the first commandment with promise that honoring this law and the parents God gave you will prolong your life and bless your life and let your life be one that's well, good. Don't you want your kids to... Have a good life? I do, right? It says there you can have that good life. Now, how many children, don't answer out loud, how many children see their lives cut short or their potential cut short because they forsake the law of their parents? It's a lot of sad stories about stuff like that. You just didn't want to listen. That parent, I know you think they're the monsters, but they're probably the only people on planet Earth that watch your six and care enough about you to tell you things you don't want to hear. Your friends tell you the stuff you do want to hear, so you hang out with them and buy that six-pack for them in the, at the deli. But your parents are the ones saying, don't do that because they care enough. And how many kids wreck their lives, ruin their lives, end up with limited potential or maybe even limited life because they just said, ah, and wouldn't listen to mom and dad. But how about spiritually? How many Christians today lose their spiritual lives because they forsake the law of God? They don't want to listen to what God says to do. They don't want to listen to what God says not to do. You know what? They don't maybe lose their physical lives, though they can. Push it far enough and God may knock them upside the head and take them home. But you know what they lose? Spiritual blessings, spiritual wellness, spiritual goodness. And that walk with God is shot. And let me just add this in too. This is me going off script here. You know what's another thing? You know what the Bible says about elders in the faith? And this is going to sound Totally self-serving. I don't care if I'm talking. If you're at home saying that, I don't care. The Bible says, "You have not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel." Paul said, "I'm kind of like a father to you, 
You know what? There's a lot of Christians out there that ruin their lives because God put some elders in their lives. It could be a pastor, a teacher, a discipler. You know what? You just said, ah, the minute that person says something you don't want to hear, the 99 things that you were so thankful they did say, bless God, everybody, we love you, everything, yeah, 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 yeah. But that one thing I said that you didn't like, you're out. Peace out, home slice. I'm gone, right? You better watch yourself because you can cut something short in your life. You can, and I'm not saying I'm infallible or anybody that stands behind this music stand pulpit is infallible. But you know what? When someone's older than you in the Lord and you see they've been walking with God for a little bit, you know what? They tell you something or tell you to watch your six or tell you, you know, you got something in your blind spot brother or your blind spot sister. You know what you do well to do? Take heed. Don't forsake it. Don't just march on your very way. You might shorten your life spiritually on this earth. And if you go too far, your physical life, if you're not careful, depending on the things you're doing. All right, let me get back on the the message now, the sweet child training we're talking about. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. You see the parallels are are very, very clear. The way we get along with God is such a way to understand how to get along with our own family. Proverbs chapter 4, at least the right way. I'm Italian. I know how we did it the wrong way, right? But uh, <laughs> a few, a few Italian, love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. But uh, I've been the recipient of a few Italian 45s, if you know what I'm talking about. Four this way, five that way. Boom, right? You know, a few of those, just a few of those. But I'm working through it. I'm okay now, all right? Proverbs chapter 4. I want you to look at in this passage all of the blessings that come from keeping the law. From just following the principles God's given you. Look at Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 10. There are spiritual blessings that you as a child of God can take away. And there are physical blessings that you and your children can enjoy as parent and child. If you just observe the commandments of your parents, the same way you observe the commandments of your Heavenly Father. Ready? Proverbs 4, verse 1. He says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. You know what the first blessing is? This Bible is good for you. It's just flat out good for you. You may not understand it all, and some of it doesn't always taste good going down. There are parts of this Bible I was reading this morning, Psalm, I think it's 137, where it's talking about the judgment on Edom. And it says, happy shall he be that dasheth thy little ones against the stones. That God says he's going to have pleasure almost by taking those enemies' little ones and smashing them against the stones. I read that and I go, that makes me a little uncomfortable even to quote it. That's because that's I'm a sinner and God's not, right? God's pure and holy and righteous. And there's some parts of this Bible like honor thy father and thy mother, like uh, let, the, uh, let the elders that rule well, you know, that submit yourself unto the Lord. Right? There's some parts of the Bible about submission and consecration and humility, and holiness and that sometimes your flesh doesn't like, right? doesn't go down smooth all the time when the Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend thee, right? Offend them, right? That, but I'm offended, Lord, and I think I have a right to be offended because I'm right, God. Don't you know how right I am? And God says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What does nothing mean, Pat? It means nothing. Okay, then what are you offended about? I thought you loved the Bible. You know, right? Ever those moments of God, right? I'm the only one I'm sure that has the, You're all so sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost that you never have those moments with God where you come across a verse and God says, Doth this offend you? And what? And if you just see the Son of Man descend up where he was before, and you're just like, 
but I'm right. <laughs> right? But God says, so I'm not saying the Bible always goes down smooth, but it's always good for you. God says, that's a blessing. It's good for you. I give you good doctrine. Don't forget, hey, why did mom tell you to eat your vegetables? Or your wife tell you to eat your vegetables, right? Because they're good for you. Even Brussels sprouts, which I really don't like, but I know they're good for you, right? My wife likes them, and I always rag on Brussels sprouts. But there are things in this Bible that are just flat out good for you to know, and good for your soul, and good for your heart, and good for your mind, right? Proverbs chapter, keep reading. Verse 3, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. You know what keeping God's commandments do? It leads to life. Hey, you drive down the highway. Buckle up. It's the law. Don't text and drive, right? What does it say? Put the phone down and drive. Why do we have these precepts put on billboards? Because somebody doesn't want to see you wrapped around a pole somewhere, right? And sometimes God's thou shalt not and don't do this and make sure you do that. They're not meant to restrict you. They're meant to keep you alive. Keep your spiritual life going. Keep reading verse 5. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. You want another blessing from keeping God's law? It not only gives you life, verse 6, but it also preserves your life. It preserves your life. You see this book right here? That book you hold in your hands will show you how to get saved. That book contains the seed of eternal life by which you can be born again. The Bible talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. This book's, you know, some of the guys put gospel packets on the doors of people's homes. It wasn't about our church. It wasn't about their nice smiles. It was about the scriptures because the scriptures are the seed of eternal life. There it is. The life is in this book. It's in the words of this book. But it doesn't just give life, right? Aren't you glad the Bible also preserves your life? Once you're saved, it shows you how to live. Now that you're saved, it's not just the seed of life. It's the school for how to live this Christian life. Amen, amen. Keep reading. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, that's wisdom, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Can you please notice in verses 8 and 9? That brethren, if you make much of the Bible in this life, the Lord will make much of you in the next life. And this book is really the difference. You know the Bible calls it a sword that divides. And there's people that are saved out there. There are some people that are saved that are not worth shooting. And I say that kindly. They don't really come to church. They don't crack open a Bible. They don't say a prayer. They say they called on Christ. That's between them and God. But most of them are not worth shooting. Jesus says they make them so sick he wants to spew them out of his mouth in the Laodicean church. But this book, if you would be one of the few that would make much of this book, God will make much of you. You see in verse 8 and 9, he talks about promotion. He talks about honor. 
in verse number 9, he talks about a crown of glory being given to people that would hold on to the wisdom of this book and make it precious. You know what that's alluding to? Your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. How are you going to get them if you make much of this book, if you don't forsake God's law? What does 2 Timothy 2.5 tell us? It says you're not crowned except you strive lawfully. You've got to live according to this book if you want to get the full reward when your course is over. Psalm 19 says this, In keeping of them, there is great reward. And he's talking about the law of God. In keeping of God's statutes, there is great reward. And read verse 10. He says again in verse 10, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Once again, the law of your parents, in this case, our spiritual father in heaven, but it could be your physical father here on earth. We can make that parallel. It promises length of days, length of days, long life. You know, the fastest way to kill your spiritual life is to forsake this book. You want to ruin your spiritual life? Close the, Bi- close, close the Bible. Close the Bible. Here's how it goes. You want to know how it goes? Here's how it goes. You've closed the Bible long before you stop coming to church. It usually goes like this. You stop praying first. Because who's going to pray if they're not walking with God? You stop praying first, and then you close the Bible, and then eventually you close off to the fellowship of the brethren. And it usually, I'm not saying all the time, that's usually how it goes. You say, why does somebody stop going to church? I'm not speaking categorically, but most of all, somewhere they close their heart or they close their eyes to what God said in the Bible. Because there's no way you read this Bible and where it talks about the fellowship of the brethren, not forsaking the fellowship of the brethren, and you think that it's okay to go off on your own and do what you think is right. Right? Will we agree on that? You didn't get that from the Bible. Amen. The Bible talks about being together, being together, being together, working together, fellowshipping together. But when you close this Bible, it's going to destroy your spiritual life. Destroy it. You say, but I'm a nice person. You won't be after a few weeks of reading, not reading the Bible. Amen. You won't be after a few months of not going to church and hearing preaching. You'll be the same rotten rascal you were before you headed into church the first time. Amen. amen, Brother Spurgeon. No, amen, Brother Pat. Right? Right? <laughs> They're both good preaching there. It's the truth. Right? If I stay out of the Bible, or I stay out of prayer, or I don't come to church for a little while, you know what it does? I just become all those weeds come growing up again in the garden. You need some things to keep them at bay, and this is what keeps it at bay. Uh, go to chapter 6. I am not moving quickly. Proverbs chapter 6. In my head, this message is a lot faster. Proverbs chapter 6. You know, if you guys just got your hearts right, I wouldn't have to preach so. I'm, like, I'm, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. No, I love you guys. I appreciate your attention. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. Uh, again, same thing. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually, continually, continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it, the commandment, shall lead thee. That's amazing. When thou sleepest, wow, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Have you ever had that moment you were going to do something and a verse came to mind? That's the Bible talking with you. That's the commandment that you hid in your heart actually coming back and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) What about this verse? What about that verse? Keep reading with me now. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp. And the law is light, and reproofs of instruction 
are the way of life. Reproofs are what you shouldn't do, but God says, when I tell you what you shouldn't do, it's actually a way to do what you should do. It's actually the way of life. 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Did you notice he said, bind them continually? You can't just read the Bible one week out of 52 right? Weeks in a year, or one day out of seven days in a week. You've got to bind them continually upon thine heart, and consistently keeping God's law will consistently keep you out of trouble. Sin will keep you from the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. I forget who said that, but it was a good, good saying. Notice verse 23 has the positive incentive. God's law will show you the way to live. That's positive. That's like the positive incentive. Do this, and that's the carrot. Right? That'll be a blessing. But then 24 is the negative instruction. If you don't do that, guess what? Satan's lies will lead you astray. There's a whore out there. And I'm not talking about that girl that you met at the diner. Right? There's a whore out there. Right? Or that, you know, person walking the strip. There's a whore out there. It's a spirit. Don't look at me like that. I I know. My wife's looking at me very disapprovingly. Right? Right? I... This is coming to you live, not on tape, all right? But there's a spirit out there. There's another voice out there. And that voice masquerades the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the book of Proverbs is typified as a female, right? Like a mother guiding the house. But here, there's another spirit out there called the whore, a strange woman that's trying to lure you away from the right way and take you down a dangerous way. So I ask you, Christian, who are you listening to? I ask you, teenager, who are you listening to? You listening to people that are telling you not to listen to your parents? That's another voice. Your parents' voice should be that familiar voice, the one you know and follow and heed. Just like as a Christian, your father's voice should be the voice that is most familiar to you. Or are you knowing strange voices? Didn't it say she's a strange woman? doesn't mean she got three eyeballs. It means she should be foreign to you, but you've made her familiar. Watch the voices you listen to, people. They can change your mind in a heartbeat. Chapter 7, verse 1. We'll finish this point here. The Bible says, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. You know what God's people are? You know God describes His people as the apple of His eye? That means to God, you're so precious to Him. You're like, he looks at you and he says, you're the apple of my eye. You're just like this precious jewel that I purchased a field to rescue. A pearl of great price, he describes you as, right? That's what he thinks of you as. But God's law has to become the apple of your eye, right? You've got to look at the law of God and make it precious to you or else it's not going to take any effect. So I spent all this time here just laying out that we start with the law. We start with the law, all the stuff about the importance of the law, not only for you and God, but also your children and you guys who are parents and grandparents. You've got to lay some commandments down to start. They've got to honor what you're saying and what you're thinking. Why do we start negative? Because think about a battery. Take a battery. Battery's got two terminals, right? Positive and negative. Do you know how the electrons flow in a battery? They flow from negative to positive. A battery gives you power because the electrons start with the negative and then flow to the positive. That's how a battery gives you power. You know what gives you power as a Christian? When you start to learn about all the things you should not do, be, love, follow, 
adhere to, that gives you power to live the way you should. How did God start? With the thou shalt not, and then from the negative, he led you to the positive, what you should do. That's how a battery works. That's how the Christian life works. That's how training up your children works. You give them the negative first, and then you flow to the positive second. Even, listen to this, Isaiah chapter 7, don't have to turn there. Isaiah 7. Verses 14 to 16 describes the Messiah being born. And it says, as a man, even as a human being, as a man, the Messiah would learn first to refuse what's wrong and then choose what's right. Negative first, positive second. Law first, and we'll get to the second thing next. Think about when you got saved. You chose Jesus Christ as your Savior after you understood something negative. You understood the evil situation you were in. You understood the depth of your sin. You understood you were going to hell. And these negative things led to a positive result and gave you the power and the the unction to want to call on the Lord and get saved. But it started with the negative, right? People often don't take medicine unless they're sick, right? And there's a song in our hymn book called At Calvary. Listen to this word from At Calvary. It says, by God's word at last, my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Then negative first, and then the positive. Law first, and then grace. Right? That's how things are always flowing in God's economy. And here's how it has to translate down to our families. Like a child of God goes from negative to positive, your child needs to, number one, learn the mom and daddy's word is law. Why? Two, disobedience has consequences. Why do you have to teach them that? So three, when they grow up, they understand that disobeying God's word is sin and the wages of sin is death. Why? That they might sense their need and seek the Savior. You see how God set this up? You teach them your law, your rules, your commandments, and when they break them, you hold them accountable. So one day, when they realize they've broken God's words, they're going to know they're accountable to Him and realize, ooh, I need a Savior to save me from my sins. Okay, that's number one, and that's, that's, the, long, that's the long part. Now let's move on, because we can't stay there forever, because God doesn't stay there forever. Because eventually, your training of your children, like your relationship with God, has to move on to love. It can't stay law forever. It starts with the law. It starts with commandments. It starts with the negative, but ultimately, training has to lead to, lead to God's love. That's the goal, people, the heart. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Let me show you how God deals with His people, and then we'll see how we deal with our people. Am I making any sense here tonight? I just... uh, Rattling on here. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Let's see. Galatians 3 verse... uh, Galatians 3, 21. Galatians 3, 21. The Bible says... Yeah, New Testament. Way in the New Testament. Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? The problem at the churches of Galatia was they were getting law and grace all mixed up. Law and faith, they thought they had to go back under the Jewish law. They thought the men had to be circumcised again in order to really be a special super believer. And here Paul's saying, no, no, no. Let me clarify the relationship between law and grace and law and faith. And he says, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. 
but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. You know how God functions? He gave his people the law first and that law was supposed to be like a little paddle to get your butt into Jesus Christ and realize, well, I can't keep that righteousness of the law. I keep breaking it all the time. I need a savior and a substitute. And the law was meant to be that impetus to get us justified and saved by faith. That's how God dealt with his people. Now, follow me now. If that's how God dealt with his people, that's how we got to deal with our little people. Give them the law first, but use that law to bring them to that spiritual side, that heart, that love, that relationship. Now, listen, the early years, like the zero to five years, it's all about obedience and law. That child needs to learn there's an authority in the house and you need to submit to that authority. But as that child matures you need to move on to developing a relationship, right? Focusing on love, right? Think about yourself as a Christian. You learn in the beginning, what should I do? Anybody else like that? What should I do? What should I not do? I got saved and it was like, well, what do I do now, right? And you start to find do's and don'ts. In the beginning, it's a lot of do's and don'ts. Don't do that, do this. Don't do that, do this. But you know what? You can't stay there. You can't stay with rules and regulations your whole Christian life. You got to move on to this thing called a relationship that's built on love, not laws. Why do we do that? Because that's what God did with his people. He took them from law and wanted to bring us to love. Look, go to John chapter 1. I'll show you. That's what he was trying to do with the nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel was God's corporate son. He called Israel is my son. Ephesians, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. So the way God dealt with Israel was he was giving them the law to get them ready for his son, which would establish a relationship with them beyond the law. Go to uh, John chapter 1. I just want you to see that that's how God dealt with his people. That's how we need to deal with our people. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, tablets of stone, right? Just hard I was reading the other day, I think it's in Numbers chapter 15. Maybe I've got the chapter wrong. Young man is gathering sticks on the Sabbath day and they stone him to death for breaking the Sabbath. That was the law. It worked wrath, the Bible says. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See, the Lord, think about it. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't stop with the thou shalt nots? Right? He gave us a New Testament. He gave us His Son. The Lord didn't stop with the thou shalt nots. He wanted something beyond the thou shalt nots. He wanted a love relationship with you. A real relationship with you. And you know what? The rules are important. Your parents' rules, you know what your parents' rules did for you? They showed you their character. Your parents' rules showed you what they valued or what they cared about. Now, if they had no rules, you kind of made some other judgments about their character. Like, I guess they don't... If your parent doesn't care if you stay out till 3.30 in the morning and come in staggering like you're three sheets to the wind, well, guess what? Your parents don't really care much about you. But if your parents sitting there waiting up by the door, polishing the shotgun, that probably means they care about where you and where you are, right? They care. They wouldn't say anything if they didn't care. 
So what did God's law do? God's law ultimately revealed his character. God said, you want to know what I'm like? I'm holy. You learn that from his law. I'm holy. Okay? But he didn't want to stop there. But he had to start there. You say, why do you have to start there? Because understanding God's rules was the pathway to having a relationship. You see why? Because it's hard to have a relationship with someone you know nothing about. And how could Israel or anyone have had a relationship with a God they knew nothing about? So you know what God did first? He gave us His law. Why? So we would know what His mind is like. What does He love? What does He hate? What does He value? What does He care about? What is His character like? He's holy. Okay, and because He's holy, you need His Son to have a relationship with Him. And that's the next level, folks. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at this, Romans chapter 5. God did that to show us who He was, but He didn't stop there. Romans chapter 5 says this. Romans 5, almost done. Romans 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. Great verse, great salvation verse. Great verse to learn and memorize. But God commendeth His love, His love, His love, it says, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Praise the Lord Jesus. While we were yet sinners, guys on death row getting waiting for them to flip the switch, while you were at your worst estate, Christ died for us. Wow. We could just preach on that verse all night long. Amen. What a, what a Savior. What a promise. But you know what God did? He didn't commend His law on the cross. He commended His love on the cross. And God the Father moved man. He wanted to move us from law to love. He wanted to move us from rules to relationship. He wanted to move us from just the thou shalt not to the love he had. And he represented that love or commended that love or showed you that love by dying on a cross when you were his wicked enemy. That was God revealing a little bit more about himself, his heart, his mind. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Amen. 1 John chapter 4. First, now, <clears throat> God's love is the graduate level course in knowing God. That's the goal, right? I don't want to stop with the law. I want to get to the love. That's the graduate level course. That's the next level is love. It's like that with God, and it's got to be like that with your children. It can't stay just rules, rules, rules. It's got to grow into relationship because if there's no love, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose them. Because they're not going to listen forever because they're going to get keys in their own bank account soon and they're going to be gone. But if there's love there, that relationship doesn't have to wane. Keep reading with me, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's the graduate level course, man. Your children may know your rules, but do they know your heart? Do they have a relationship with you? You may know some of God's rules, but are you starting to learn His heart, starting to develop a relationship with Him? You may get your children to obey 
but you can't stop with the law. You've got to graduate to love, to love, to love. You've got to win their heart, parents. You've got to win their heart, parents. You can get them to sit there like a bunch of well-trained seals in a church service, and then they go home and they hate you because you're the most rotten tyrant that they've ever met because there's no love in your home. Right? There's got to be love. Love covereth all sins. And the goal of training is ultimately to win their heart. Because God's ultimate goal is to woo you to Himself. Why? So you would just be an obedient seal? No, you would be a loving son that would want to love Him back because He loved you so much first. You see the parallel? I hope you do. Ted Tripp wrote a great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. I recommend it to anybody who's a parent, grandparent, thinking about being a parent, want to be a blessing to a parent. The guy's not a Bible believer. I'll give you that disclaimer. But the book is a great book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And he says great things about this. And he says this in that book. He says, you need to direct not simply the behavior of your children, but the attitudes of their hearts. See, your target is the heart, not just the obedience and the compliance, but the heart. Listen, if you raise children who only follow law without knowing love, you're going to grow a Pharisee. You'll have some kids that dress nice, keep their hair nice, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do and all that other stuff. You know what? They'll be a whited sepulcher. They'll be just as rotten as a Pharisee in Jesus' day. Same thing as a Christian. If all your Christian life is, well, I go to church, and I put money in the box, and I do this, and look at that one, and I'm, I'm, I'm better than that one, I'm more holy, my skirt's longer than this one, my hair's nicer than that one, and all this stuff that goes on in Christian circles, if it's all law, 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 and as a Christian, you've never gotten to the heart of it, you're a Pharisee. You're a legalist Pharisee. You missed the whole boat, man. You're a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. we got to graduate past the law and move into the love with the Lord and with our families. Galatians 5, 6. i got two stops left. Three, three. I lied. Galatians 5, 6. Look at this. Galatians 5, 6. Again, back to Galatians, which is talking about that relationship between law and grace and law and faith. And Galatians 5, 6, the Bible says this. Galatians 5, 6. If you see it, say amen. Okay. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, nor uncircumcision, doesn't matter if you're Goy, but faith, which worketh by love. He's saying right there that if faith is the engine of your Christian life, you know what the gas is that runs the faith engine? It's love. You know why a baby will step off a step into a parent's arms? Because he knows daddy's going to catch him. He knows daddy loves him or mommy loves him. You trust God when you can't trace him because you know God loves you. How could you go through some of the things you go through and trust God if you didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not that God was the angry voice on Mount Sinai, but he was the loving Savior who died on the cross. It's His love that woos you and makes your faith really grow. Not that thou shalt not. That doesn't grow your faith. That just kind of makes you like a rigid person afraid to breathe too loud. But the love gives you liberty. The love helps you grow. The love gives you hope and peace. And folks, with our children, there's got to be a time when love has to be the fuel for their faith. you got to go after their heart like God's going after your heart. Fill in the blanks. 1 John 4.19 
We love him because he first loved us. Loved us. Not laud us, Amen. not whacked us, Amen. but he first loved us. Amen. It's his love that draws us. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know why God put the Holy Spirit deep down in the heart when you got saved? Why? So you could know the love of Christ. You could never experience it without the Holy Spirit because His love is supernatural. Amen. Amen? So He gave you the Holy Spirit so that love could be known by you. That's how we got to be with our children. We got to love them, man. I didn't say we had to give them license to do whatever they want. Sometimes love is saying the things and doing the things that are difficult to do. But we're doing it out of love. I'll give you an example. And I'm glad my... I'm glad my go to Proverbs 23 before I give you that example. Uh... I've used this example once before, I think, maybe not here. But when we were coming to New Jersey, some of you know the story, some of you don't. It was a long story. It was like a slow process. We weren't sure what the Lord wanted us to do. And eventually it became clear that we were, you know, leaving our church in Staten Island, which was the hardest thing we ever did, really. Uh, It was a very tough thing to do. Uh, And... My kids were a little younger then. All their friends and family were in Staten Island. So when my little girl, who stepped out right now, because she'd be turning beet red if I gave her this example, when she found out that's really what was happening and I told her that, she got, she got angry with me. Like, understandably, I didn't knock her, but she, was, she got very closed off to me. And she was maybe about, what, 11, maybe or so, 10 or 11 years old. And she just got... She wasn't daddy's little girl right there. She was cold. She was distant. I could tell she was angry with me. And I just, I just saw it. I was definitely, I was definitely losing her heart. I def, she was closing her heart to me. L- legit. She was closing her heart to me. And you know what? I couldn't law her back to faith in me. I couldn't just force her to do it. Right? It's kind of like God can't whack you back to trusting him. You better trust me. No. Like when your heart starts to get cold, it's not the law that's going to bring you back. It's love that's got to bring you back. And I could have told my daughter, you got to listen to me because you're my daughter. And I got about a hundred Bible verses that I could just Bible whip you with right now. But that wouldn't have done anything to get her heart back because I was losing her heart. She was still polite. She was still respectful. She was still doing her chores. But I could tell something was rotten in the state of her heart. I could tell it. So what did I do? This is the, the, God gave me this. I wrote her a letter. She lived in my house, but I wrote her a letter telling her how much I loved her, how special she was to me, and I wrote her this letter. Why? I figured every time I've been a knucklehead, God led me back with his love. The fact that he would take me back was always what lured me back to him. So I wrote her this letter, and uh, I could have said in this letter, you have to, but I wanted her heart. So I just, I left it in her room, and I don't know if it was a couple of days later, but I think a few days later was her birthday. And I remember on her birthday, I think I said, I love you. And she said, I love you back. And I saw her heart start to turn. And I'll tell you right now, that day that my little girl said, I love you, I wouldn't trade that for a thousand amens. I take all the amens and all the good job pats you've ever said, put them in a bottle, throw them in the ocean. And I would take my kids still saying, I love you, daddy, over that a hundred times. I still like the amens. Sometimes I need them to make sure you're still awake. But them knowing I had their heart was the most blessed thing in the world. Now think about it with me, people. What do you think your heavenly Father wants from you? Just your strict obedience? 
just your compliance and your dutiful just servitude. No, he wants your heart. And that Bible is God's love letter to you to woo you back. So when he says, I love you in that book, something in you wants to say, I love you too. And that blesses the Father's heart more than your grinning and bearing it and just doing what God tells you to do. Look at Proverbs 23 where we started, please. Proverbs 23, look where we started. Look at 26. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgressors among men. Isn't it interesting? Right after he says, give me your heart, there's that bad lady waiting for him. There's that bad spirit waiting for him. Why? Because if God has your heart, then God can shepherd you away from those bad people and he can direct your steps away from those pitfalls that want to try to destroy you. And with your children, if you have their heart, you can shepherd them to safety. They'll listen to you because they know you love them and, you, and they love you if you have their heart. If not, they're always going to be wandering. They're always going to be curious. They're always going to be seeing you as a monster and wondering, what's it like out there? But if they see how wonderful it is to be in your blessed presence, why would they ever want to venture out there? And as you grow, you got to do right as a Christian. What? Not out of law, not out of rules, but out of love for your Savior. Amen. you got to look at that bloodstained cross and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. Not because I got a commandment from Moses, but because I got a Savior who died and the love of Christ constraineth me. Brethren, if that's not what's motivating you, you're shot. Amen. You're only going to discipline yourself so long. You're only going to rubber band yourself and pretty soon the rubber band's going to snap back and you're going to go back to the pig pen like an idiot. Amen. But if it's love, you're not going to want to go back to the pig pen. You don't want to break your father's heart. You want to do it because you love him that much and you know he loves you that much. And the same is true with your children. As they grow, they got to do right because they love you and they have a relationship with you and they don't want to break their daddy or their mama's heart. Doesn't mean it's always going to work out perfectly, but that's got to be the ultimate goal. Finish with me in John 21. Finish with me in John 21. What's really going to matter when all this is over? What should be our ultimate, ultimate goal? Well, John 21 is an interesting picture because we know Peter, we know Peter is messed up. He's denied the Lord and Jesus Christ is coming to restore him. You okay, Steve? <laughs> John 21. John 21 verse 4, it says, But when the morning was now come, you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like the resurrection morning. That's like a picture of the resurrection morning. Because on the resurrection morning, Jesus Christ is going to call us out from the labor, out from the fishing boats. He's going to call us. He's going to call us home. Like Jesus Christ calling His disciples to shore. And in verse number 9 it says, As soon as they were come to land, they saw fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jump to verse 12. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. You know what that looks like to me? Jesus Christ beckoning them to come and dine. Almost like a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come in from your labor. It's morning. Come in from your labor. Let's sit down and fellowship together. And then look what he asked Peter in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, 
Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Isn't that interesting in this little picture here? Peter's messed up. He's out there toiling and rowing, trying to do some fishing. Lord calls him home, gives him a meal. And what's the question? Do you love me? Could that be what this whole thing was about? Could that be what the whole Christian life was about? Hey, hey, Pat, did you love me? You made mistakes, but did you love me? I think that's what the whole thing is going to be about. Hey, Pat, when you get to that judgment seat of Christ, and I'm sitting there with you, what did you do just out of love for me? Did you do it because you loved me? Did you love me more than these? Mm. Love covereth all sins, the Bible says. And the Bible says, Herein is love, our love made perfect, 1 John 4, 17, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know, if love is the motivating factor in everything you do, it makes judgment go a lot easier. You take your little kids, they're sitting there, and maybe they're making you that Mother's Day card, and they're you know, coloring that flower, looks like a, like a ghost threw up, and it's like, you know, it's supposed to be a daisy, and it's like, what is that? Those are, oh, those are petals, right? You know, and you, and they, but you know what? They did it out of love for you. And it doesn't matter as much that they missed the lines and made a little bit of a mess on the table and the crayon went over the paper. You know why? You receive it and they have boldness in the day of judgment to show it to you. Hey, mommy, look what I made you. And like I said, it looks like a giraffe exploded on the paper and you got this whole thing here. You know why you accept it and you're blessed by it? Because it was done out of love. And sometimes you and I are going to color outside the lines. But you know why you can have boldness at the judgment seat of Christ? If what you did was out of love and God had your heart and you, had, and you knew His love, you know what? You can have boldness in that day. And when all is said and done, you know what we're going to wish? We're going to wish we spent more time winning and shepherding our child's heart because that is God's ultimate goal with His children and that's got to be our ultimate goal with our children. And if you're not planning to shepherd your child's heart, you're planning to fail as a parent. Let's bow our heads and pray.